Cesar Kelly, thank you very much for joining me for a coffee with the editor with Railways Africa. I think let's start firstly with the topic that's quite hot at the moment being open access or some people refer to it as open access or, or third, third party. Where are you at? I'm sure you would have actually taken note the president's speech at the SONA where he made the announcement that as TFR on the 1st of April we would actually be going out then an RFP, so we will be issuing our RFP on the 1st of April um, to provide some slots onto our, our network. And the announcement really highlighted that we intend to run a pilot on the container corridor. And then also then once that is underway, we would also then like to uh, provide additional slots as well on what we call the Cape Core Corridor, but people call it mostly the South Core Corridor. Uh, which is really uh, the area between Houting and East London or say Eastern Cape uh, where we think we also have the uh, opportunity to free up some slots for the automotive uh, industry. When you talk about putting it out to tender for slots, I have to ask if putting it out to tender is counterintuitive. Why the tender process? Well, it's an, it's an open market process. So here's the thing, I mean, as indicated, I don't know whether, I don't, can't quite recall whether, and no, I don't think the president actually was quite specific in terms of the number of slots that are available. So from the 1st of April, we have six slots that are available on the container corridor, and then and we have 10 slots that are available on the Cape Cod corridor for automotive. How do we actually go through open and transparent process? Okay. So effectively, the process that we would ordinarily follow as an SOC is, is an RFP, I mean, process. So we are actually currently defining, I mean, what would be the requirements of anybody that's actually keen to participate as a, a third um, um, party access operator onto the network. And then we need to make sure that there's some fair process, you know, I mean, that we undertake and not necessarily go on the basis of who came first or who do we like. We are an SOC and there is that requirement for us, I mean, to do so. And as at the stage, you know, the process that we would utilize is that RFP process, but it doesn't necessarily mean as we go along and refine the processes a little bit better, that there isn't an opportunity for us to find a slightly different process to allow people to come onto the network but whatever process that would be, it would always have to be a, a fair and transparent process. I needed to understand mm. that process. In terms of access fees, has there been a determination on that? We're working very hard to actually finalize, I mean, what that fee would be. And we've looked at various models around the world. Um, unfortunately, if we compare ourselves with other I mean, railways around the world, we unfortunately don't have the luxury of having the infrastructure being paid for uh, by government. So we couldn't quite find a true benchmark from around the world for us to actually utilize in determining uh, the excess fees. So what we were leaning towards at this point in time is to effectively use the model that's already been used in South Africa by the likes of TNPA, which is our sister OD, which is a regulated I mean, entity, um, likewise, the likes of, um, you know, ESCOM, who are also regulated I mean, entities and so forth. So at this stage, we're trying to, our leaning is to actually use a model that is well known in the South African environment. But secondly, in anticipation that in the, given the direction that the government wants to take is that they're looking at a regulator in, at a future date. 
So we're saying let's try and align to more or less the, the, the type of policy or the way in which, I mean, a regulator would determine access fees. Will you be leasing out some of your rolling stock? Well, if anyone has an interest in, in, in leasing out any of our rolling stock that we have in-house, then yes, we would be more than happy to do so. We already lease out some of our older locomotives, especially to some of our counterparts in, in Southern Africa, so we do that. But the truth be told is that we would probably be very limited uh, in providing anybody who's interested with any rolling stock in the immediate uh, future, given that we are constrained ourselves. So let, let's touch on the constraints that Transit Freight Rail is currently experiencing. And that kind of leads to lost opportunities, again, headlines in respect of, you know, Xara and, and a few name throwing and blaming. Um, it can't all be on you. So where are these challenges being experienced? Well, I think the first thing um, is that we have an aging infrastructure. And it is um, a little bit unfortunate that there is significant work that needs to be done to actually get it back to what we call an A-grade uh, standard. It's far, most of the infrastructure is far from being at that level at this point in time. And that requires a significant amount of investment uh, in order to do so. And as I already indicated, I mean, in your previous question, that we as Transnet have to take the full responsibility of raising that investment to repair the infrastructure, which is very different from what you find from other railways around the world, because you'd find that their government takes the responsibility of maintaining the infrastructure. So that's the, the first sort of like, I mean, key uh, constraint. I think the second constraint that we have is that um, everybody understands, everybody speaks uh, quite openly uh, about state capture and the damage that it has done. Uh, but I think that we are feeling it quite directly uh, within the TFR uh, space. And we feel it because we have a shortage, a serious shortage of, and I won't say a shortage of locomotives, because we have enough locomotives available in the system. But what we're short of is, is spare parts in order to repair the locomotives so that they're operational in our system. And unfortunately, given the issues around the 1064 transaction and everything else, at this stage, we are constrained by their, our inability to be able to bring in those uh, spare parts because it's spare parts from the OEMs uh, who are currently in uh, some level of, of litigation at this point in time. And then the third one is the, the theft and vandalism that we're experiencing. 177% increase in the last five years. Incredible how significant that impact is and in terms of, of, of volume movement. And the challenge, especially, I mean, on the theft and vandalism, is that, you know, we can talk about, oh, we've managed to reduce the number of incidents, say, maybe from 70 to 24. But even 24 is too much because it depends on where they hit you on the network. Mm -hmm. And if they hit you at a point where your train still gets stuck, that means you're not able to move anything for the day. And it's not the type of system where you say, because uh, I couldn't move 10 trains today, I'll catch up by, by moving 20 trains tomorrow. So it's gone. Once you've lost that opportunity to move that train on that given day, there isn't a possibility to try and make up by running the double number of trains I mean, the, the following day. So it's been a huge problem. So in a perfect world, and I, and I say perfect, so all your rolling stock is working. You weren't constrained from a, what's happening between transit engineering in terms of the maintenance and delivering 
you know, working really stuck. What would be, in your mind, the, the next best thing? Would it be increasing track infrastructure? What does your maintenance scheduling look like at the moment? Ah, okay. We say we don't have a, a problem with demand because every single year, even prior to all of the things that we then experienced during the year, but every single year at the beginning of the financial year, when we're signing up uh, our commitments with our, our customers, we're already turning away business because we look at uh, the limitations that we have, which I've already uh, you know, I mean, spoken to. So you're absolutely correct that in a perfect world, if we didn't have I mean, some of the, the constraints that I was speaking about, what would we be focusing on? We'd be focusing on expanding uh, the, the infrastructure, especially on key flows. And by the way, it's not as if it's not something that we're not working on. We do think that it's important that regardless of the challenges that we have right now, that we find, try and find solutions for those uh, sh short to medium and term problems, but also begin to look at medium to long term initiatives. And the medium to long term initiatives is about creating additional capacity, especially on flows like manganese. The growth of manganese or the demand for manganese has far outstripped what we have, you know, the potential to move on the rail infrastructure. So we think we have a potential there to increase or expand the infrastructure to be able to, to move a lot more in support of uh, the various uh, mining uh, uh, customers, especially around them I in the, the Northern Cape. The same can be said as well uh, on the iron ore line uh, that we think there we have an, an, an opportunity to expand uh, the network a bit, which would require us to add a couple of loops in, in certain portions of, of the network and we would be able to deliver um, a much higher volume output, which then would allow the ability of um, to bring in the new entrants who are quite keen, you know, the, the junior miners, I, I hate to use that word, but I mean more the, the new entrants to also then have access I mean, to rail. Taking all that into account and new land development and all of those things, we're, we're going to add another layer of sustainability. What is your decarbonisation strategy? Okay. Yeah, look, I mean, we're quite focused on, on, in fact, we have a team under our technology management um, division who are currently looking at ways in which we can probably do things <laughs> a little bit differently, I mean, going forward and also doing our bit. In, in focusing on a more sustainable way of running operations. Our technology management team, together with our TE colleagues and Transmit Engineering, we're beginning to look at alternatives to ele electric uh, locomotives and diesel locomotives, especially diesel locomotives uh, going to, into the future. We are finding ourselves having um, to utilize the full complement of our diesel locomotives that are available to us, simply because of the amount of theft that we're experiencing. But that had never been the intention because we know, you know, I mean, it's not really the most sustainable. Next six months, what are we going to see? Well, look, I mean, in the next six months, I mean, one of the things that we've decided is that we really uh, focus on, on, and we're calling it our uh, going back to basics type of, of program. And it's going back to basics in focusing. And some of the things that I've already uh, actually mentioned is that trying to find a smarter way to utilize uh, our limited availability of funds to fix the infrastructure. We've already come up with the program and to try and do that more efficiently. Uh, part of it is that, and hopefully, we can actually try and find uh, better solutions to pre quicker procurement as well, because uh, we just have to try and, and, and get the maximum value from the little pot of money that we have. And sometimes the long pro uh, and, and prolonged 
uh, procurement events hurt us as well because we end up not getting the best back for our money. So that's a key area of focus for us I mean, actually going forward. From an operational side, been busy, it's already started. We Essentially what we're doing is that we have started with the multi-scaling of our trained drivers. You know, the intention in a perfect world, or if we had been able to achieve what was the initial intention of the 1064, would probably be down now, I mean, to fewer types of local t- locomotives. And the idea was to really just to make sure that we're more streamlined where you have a one uh, type of local on a particular corridor. It hasn't actually worked that way. So we've had to go back now and we're training, retra- I mean, training our drivers to be multi-skilled in order to handle more than one type of, of, of locomotive, which then helps us I mean, uh, with the improvement of running our trains and turning them ar- around um, a lot more um, you know, quicker. We've been doing uh, some, well, I think it's fantastic work. I must say that. I think it's absolutely fantastic work that with all of these challenges, it really has required us, I mean, to think a little bit further out of the box in terms of what we can do. And um, most of our corridors have been running longer and longer uh, wagon trains. And so we've been testing running uh, longer trains uh, for our chrome flows on the Northeast Corridor. We did the same as well, even on the export coal line, uh, where it might not seem as much, but if you add two additional wagons, that's significant volumes that you're able to improve uh, on with the limited slots I mean, that we have. And then we want to uh, collaborate. We really believe that we want to collaborate a lot more with our customers because we're beginning to see um, some real value out of the partnerships that we've had to form in the last few months. And as we see the results of that, more and more customers are coming to the party as well to say, let's also collaborate, especially on issues pertaining to security, to try and improve on delivery. How's it going in Africa? We have very good uh, engagements uh, with our Southern African uh, counterparts. We are also a key member of SARA, you know, as well. So we participate in, in that. We continue to work, I mean, very closely with people like uh, CFM, which is on the Maputo side, because some of our flows also move through uh, the Maputo port. Uh, so we are working very closely with CFM. Uh, likewise, we're working very closely uh, with Swazi Railways, because some of our flows go through uh, Swaziland to finally get in, in, into Richards Bay. And then uh, we have a, a business development uh, unit uh, sitting up at group. And uh, what they're looking for is new opportunities for us uh, as Transnet on the continent. So they're beginning to move higher and higher beyond uh, Southern Africa. But on the South, uh, Southern African side, I think we have very, very good uh, engagements and collaborations. Botswana Railways, you know, I mean, we meet with them on a regular basis. And there are a couple of uh, projects that are underway between the, um, the, the two entities. Anything else you'd like to add to your wish list? What would I like to add? I mean, look, I think that, um, I, and let me go back to one of the questions because I think possibly I answered only part of it. You spoke about lost opportunity. And you know, whenever I have an opportunity, I always spend a bit of time just to clarify what that is. So one is that we accept lost opportunity for even Transnet to have moved more, especially now with the prices of the commodity prices being where they are. So would have loved to actually move than even what we committed to the customers at the beginning of the year. But there is a difference between what we commit to and what then can truly be defined as lost opportunity. 
And I think sometimes, you know, when the customers speak about lost opportunity, the message gets a bit all mixed up because what doesn't get clarified is that this is what TFR or Transnet would have committed to. Um, and then talk about our delivery or under delivery on the basis of what we committed to. Then there is additional portion that says, had there been an opportunity to move even more than what we had committed to, there would definitely have been value for all of, of the uh, parties. And that for us is the true lost op opportunity. But sometimes these things get mixed up. And you know, you know, people talk about, oh, a massive, you know, um, missed opportunity and they put a number to it, it doesn't necessarily mean that whole number can be attributed, um, you know, to transmit because we would have, on the basis of what we know we have as low rolling stock and everything else, we make sure that we do not overcommit ourselves at the beginning of the year. Of course, we then have the challenges of security and everything else, you know, the unreliable um, locomotives and all of that, that then negatively impact uh, that then day-to-day, -day, I mean, performance. So that's the one. But for me, I think that we have uh, great uh, people within, um, you know, Transnet, more especially, if I have to say so myself, I think, I mean, within TFR, it really is is um, a great, um, we have great people. I think our people know what they're doing. I think they're passionate about what they do. And um, a lot of them um, would like to actually see this company uh, even grow uh, from what it is I mean uh, right now and of course there'll be even for them some level of frustration in knowing that we can do a lot more but we're restricted by some of the constraints that we, we, we have I mean today but I think for me for people to have actually come up with all of the things that they've done uh, in the past to say even with the limitations how do we try and deliver to the best of our ability has been absolutely fantastic coming to witness. And I think I'm going to close out and say, aside from thanking you for your time, I look forward to chatting to you in six months' time when, when open access is, is a little further down the road, when hopefully you have dealt with the locomotive or rolling stock availability issues. And I'd love to hear more about what you're doing, your projects in Africa. And yeah, like your heavy haul line, those are exciting opportunities. No, definitely, definitely. I mean, we're very proud of the all and with all of the challenges that uh, whenever we have to do benchmarks <laughs> with other railways around the world, that it still stands up there. Um, yeah, up there. And uh, yeah, so we're really, really proud of that. Yeah, and it's, uh, yeah, as I said, I mean, you have to go to some of these uh, lines, go down to the ground and really, I mean, just exp experience the passion. I mean, feel the passion I mean, that, that flows through from the people who actually operate on the ground. Um, and the knowledge that they have. They have fantastic knowledge.